Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Do we have any Jeopardy music? Can we play Jeopardy right off the bat today? The answer is as follows. Obstruction of an official proceeding. It's a multi-part answer. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. Sedition. Mail and or wire fraud. Obstruction of an official proceeding conspiracy to defraud the United States, sedition, mail and or wire fraud. Now, what am I supposed to do? Give the question? Is that what I'm supposed to do? I believe so, yes. What might boop, boop, What might Donald Trump be charged with? What Ooh. might Donald Trump be charged with? And of course, the answer is also nothing. But my survey question today at Smirconish.com is predicated upon a, a couple of really good items that are posted, of course, on the website and in the newsletter. And I am asking you this. Does Donald Trump face greater legal peril from promoting the big lie or from his fundraising appeals tied to overturning the election? Neil Katyal has a really good piece. He's a professor at Georgetown Law School. He was acting solicitor general in the Obama administration. Very, very bright individual writing for The New York Times, the future criminal case against Donald Trump. And as I just referenced, he says, what would what criminal charges might Trump face? One, obstruction of an official proceeding is a serious offense that requires the prosecution to show that a defendant obstructed or attempted to obstruct an official proceeding and that the defendant did so corruptly. What is the proceeding? The proceeding is January 6th and the official certification of the Electoral College vote. Obstruction of an official proceeding. Number two, conspiracy to defraud the United States. A charge of conspiracy requires proof that two or more people agreed to defraud the country. A key feature of conspiracy charges, the plot need not have succeeded. And then finally, says Neil Cadial, the department, Justice Department, could bring seditious conspiracy charges. Now, this is the same thing that's already been brought by the Justice Department against members of the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys. What does it require? It requires prosecutors to prove that two or more people agreed to use force to delay the execution of a law or to overthrow the government. Here, Trump's defense would be that while he may have wanted to delay the certification of the election, he never formally agreed with anybody else to use force. So that's Neil Katyal. Then you've got Ken Vogel and Rachel Shorey writing for The New York Times today talking about the Trump fundraising 
that was taking place in and around the election and all the way through January 6th and thereafter. From the Times, in a hearing on Monday, the panel highlighted fundraising solicitations sent by Mr. Trump's campaign committees in the weeks after the election, seeking donations for a, quote, official election defense fund. That fund, the Trump team claimed, would be used to fight what they asserted without evidence was rampant voter fraud favoring candidate Joe Biden. Quote, the select committee discovered no such fund existed, a committee investigator said in a video that was shown at the hearing. And then, of course, Zoe Lofgren, the California Democrat, said after the hearing that the Justice Department ought to assess whether it was a crime for Trump to have quote, intentionally misled donors, asking them to donate to a fund that didn't exist and using the money raised for something other than what he said. Now, to be fair to Trump, further along, it explains this all gets quite complicated because the Trump Make America Great Again committee, the campaign committee that sent out most of the solicitations for the election defense fund, did transfer funds to the RNC the Republican National Committee, which spent money on legal fights related, obviously, to the 2020 election. So, you know, Trump could probably argue that a portion of the funds that were raised in the post-election period went to litigation. The Times goes on to say that they're not exactly clear how the committee came up with the $250 million figure. The January 6th panel video on the subject asserted that, quote, the claims that the election was stolen were so successful that Trump and his allies raised $250 million. So what I'm interested in knowing is whether you think it's the former or the latter that poses the greatest harm to him, and maybe the answer is none of the above. I mean, Merrick Garland said, and I played the cut yesterday, that he's watching and will watch all of the hearings, and so too are his investigators. But there's there's been no evidence thus far of an independent investigation by justice, no grand jury. Then again, maybe they don't need it, because Congress is doing all of their work. But I want to know which of the these two baskets is more pro- problematic for Trump, spreading, promulgating the big lie, or the fundraising that resulted. And I need assistance because a lot of this comes down to his intent. You might remember I discussed this with Randall Eliason, and we talked in particular about an NBC report that said the following with regard to Trump's intent and what was necessary to to be proven. Quote, as in most white-collar crime cases, experts said the biggest challenge for prosecutors would be proving that Trump had criminal intent that he knew he had lost the election, but he pursued his fraud claims anyway. What exactly does that mean? I need to go to Danny Savalos for this because I am out of my depth. He is the NBC and MSNBC legal analyst. He's from the law firm of Savalos and Wong and joins me now. Hey, Danny, thank you for making room for me in your busy day. Hey, now, Michael, glad to be here. But, you know, there are times where I feel as out of my depth as you do. And frankly, I was calling you to ask you for clarification this morning. (laughs) Well, here's here's how I frame this. So you have you have this testimony in front of the January 6th committee of all of these people surrounding Trump, including the former attorney general, Bill Barr, saying, I told him it was bullshit. But does that mean that Trump had to accept what they were telling him? What if instead, in his heart, he thinks he did lose and he chooses to rely on Rudy Giuliani? 
Right. And that becomes a question of at what point is it unreasonable to rely on an intoxicated Rudy Giuliani and someone like John Eastman, who in his own memos appears to concede that his plan is way out there. But I mean, really, when you take a step back, uh, the government, if there were a prosecution, they don't need to prove that Donald Trump knew, absolutely knew or even admitted or wrote down on a on a cocktail napkin. I know that I did not win and I'm pursuing this anyway, because criminal law recognizes that that kind of evidence rarely exists. So instead, there's a standard standard called willful blindness. And it's a jury instruction. I've dealt with willful blindness. It comes up a lot in white collar type crimes uh, because a defendant will do something that facially uh, has some explanation of legality. But in reality, they have some criminal intent. And it's basically the ostrich that sticks its head in the sand. It's refusing to see what is obviously in front of you. So I do think that is a viable path. But on the other hand, you know, it's not so much does he have the right to rely on Rudy Giuliani. I, I think really the inquiry is what was he permitted to do if he believed uh, that he had won and that the election had been stolen, is he permitted to file cases in court? I tend to think he is subject to what's called Rule 11, which limits you know, uh, uh, lawyers in filing frivolous lawsuits. But uh, in terms of you know, what he believed, uh, I think that's very relevant. But at the same time, you know, I hear once again, Crimes like conspiracy to defraud the United States or conspiracy to obstru- obstruct the proceeding are rearing their heads. One of these, particularly the defraud one, is a particularly amorphous statute. And I've been hearing, you know, folks like me getting on air for the last couple years saying, well, this is this is a crime, but no one's charged it yet. So, I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding that Merrick Garland doesn't feel that confident yet. And I'm not so sure he's going to feel that confident after these hearings. So far in the last two hearings, I've heard plenty of evidence that Trump was confronted with the fact that he had lost. But if there is information, uh, you know, is it reasonable that he may have taken from other people that he believed he still won? Or what if he just believed in his heart of hearts that he still won? Keep in mind that what we've seen over the last two days of hearings is a grand jury proceeding. And by that, I mean, it's a one-sided affair. It is the prosecutor's show. And I'm using prosecutor in air quotes, uh, meaning uh, they are analogous to the committee. Uh, There is no defense attorney allowed in the room. There is no defense point of view. You don't get to hear the potential, for example, First Amendment defenses that Donald Trump would have uh, pursuing. And and by the way, in, in in an area that is so unprecedented, that we're dealing with this for the first time. You know, what What if you believe and you fight against losing a presidential election at all odds? I mean, the only arguable precedent you have is every other presidential election where a president or a candidate uh, question the results. You could even look maybe to Al Gore as recent precedent. But, of course, so factually different that they scarcely could be said to resemble each other. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. 
you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen Gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Danny, tell me if you think this analogy is fair and tell me whether I'm stating the law accurately. In any number of recent cases where the conduct of police has been at issue because of their use of deadly force, we have spoken of their right to use deadly force when the officer has a reasonable fear of great bodily harm. By the way, how am I doing so far? Is that correct? That is the standard? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, word for word. So would there similarly be a requirement that Trump would have to be reasonable in his belief that the election was stolen. In other words, is it a defense of Trump that he's that he had a delusional? Hey, he was delusional, but that's what he believed. So we got to let him off on these claims. Right. So in your self-defense example, it could be said that a police officer has a set uh, a group of facts before him before he decides to use force. There's plenty of things he may not know, like the criminal history or non criminal history of a suspect. But, you know, the court recognizes that we look at what confronted that police officer in the moment. And on an election night and in the days afterward, uh, there's chaos. Uh, And if we're going to use that standard, the Supreme Court has said that we don't use the 50-50 or, excuse me, the 2020 hindsight uh, of months later when we're assessing police use of force. We look at what the officer had available to him in that moment. And we recognize that it's a high-pressure moment. So using your analogy, you know, you might say that, well, in the heat of the moment, information is coming in. Consider, for example, that Rudy Giuliani shows up in uh, Atlanta claiming, oh, my gosh, I've got video evidence that there are suitcases of ballots that uh, and there's a lot of uh, hanky-panky going on. Well, that allegation, as silly as it ended up being, was enough to essentially mobilize the Northern District, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Georgia. And we heard from Young Pack, who was the former uh, U.S. Attorney for that district. And my point in saying that is that there was so much craziness going on that, you know, a Rudy Giuliani specious claim of having videotape evidence could mobilize the government in the chaos that that followed in mid-December uh, after the election. So I would take your analogy and say, yes, if we're going to do that, then we have to say that, okay, yeah, Rudy Giuliani, maybe he's been tipping them back. He's a little intoxicated. 
but he, President Trump has people telling him uh, that he won the election and it's being stolen from him. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, what it, not only do I think what his, his decisions are must be reasonable, but his actions, too, must be scrutinized as well. So, for example, filing lawsuits. I think you're entitled to mostly file lawsuits. Uh, on the other hand, pressuring someone like Byung Pak to go along with this investigation on threat of being fired, that's where I think you get into uh, potential criminality. And, and just as a final thought, I think we're, you know, we focus a lot on the violence of January 6th, but maybe the more viable path to prosecution for those who want to prosecute Trump isn't the violence. It's really the nonviolent efforts to, for example, uh, pressure Mike Pence into not certifying the electors, which didn't involve a single act of violence, but it involved a tremendous pressure campaign. The pressure again, campaign but again, against him and other people. Okay, I don't want to belabor this, but Trump's defense would be, hey, I, yes, I did pressure him because it was a fraudulent election. I mean, you saw that 12-page statement that Trump just released. He's still saying yeah. It's fraud. I need to ask Danny Savalos today's survey question, put you on the spot. Does Donald Trump face greater legal peril from promoting the big lie or from his fundraising appeals tied to overturning the election? So, uh, first of all, I already voted on today's Nice. Question, we so like that. I'm very aware of it. I hope uh, your but... whole household did. I, I need four votes out of the, the savalos Ganim household. I did. The six-month-old, we had to direct her finger <laughs> to the screen, but she voted. And frankly, I was shocked. I disagreed with her. So Donald Trump, does he face bigger legal peril? I, I mean, to me, Michael, I'm so glad that you put this up as your question. And by the way, every day your survey questions really go to the – I mean, it, it's intimidating. You know that thing in life where it's intimidating to see this, knowing that I have to uh, guest fulfill host it. your show. That's right. Yeah, guest host your Scary as heck. I got to tell you, I, I'm really. This is a perfect question because, uh, at least in two or Monday's hearing, I felt like a very. I, I felt like the uh, the fundraising uh, efforts were a really weird footnote to the hearing. I mean, they crowbarred them in at the beginning. They crowbarred them in at the end with a. I thought a very awkward video presentation that reminded me of when you go to the Liberty Bell and they have a, a videotape running uh, <laughs> of somebody in, welcoming you to the Liberty Bell yes. and giving you the history. And so, uh, but quietly, I think maybe a stronger case for fraud, mail fraud or wire fraud could be made for fundraising efforts. But, but big caveat, as Trump is brilliant at, at doing, and frankly, I mean, he, he really has created, uh, as was in the Godfather uh, famous line, uh, buffers. Yeah, the Trump team has a lot of buffers because, you know, yeah, even if he, there's fraud in those fundraising efforts, good luck. Finding the you know the email from President Trump that uh, was involved in this, so you might get some lower people involved. But I doubt President Trump famously doesn't send email. He doesn't really leave a paper trail. So I you know yeah, that's a very interesting avenue, maybe a more understandable and direct path to a fraud case. But I just. You know, that, that's not without its own uh, set nothing's, of challenges. Nothing's Michael, black and white. I thought it was very yeah. interesting. Nothing's no, clean. No, no. no clean answer. All right, I'm still putting you down in the ladder, though. The greater peril, is it fair to say you think, comes from the fundraising than it does the promulgation of the big lie? I do. You I do. do because I think there are so many potential defenses, uh, one of which is, you know, not that they're good defenses, but, again, this is why, and I've been saying this for a long time, it's so easy for someone like me or a former prosecutor to get on air and say, I've looked at the code. This, what Trump has done, it meets all the elements of the code. And we've been hearing that over the last days. 
and he should be charged with a crime. He should be very nervous. Everyone in Trump world. Yeah, but, you know, to do that, where, where the rubber meets the road is where a U.S. attorney, who is a, often a very successful, very career-minded individual, has to stake their career knowing that there are a lot of defenses, one of which could be the stupidity defense. I didn't know that one of which could be a First Amendment-type defense. I mean, there are a number of different defenses, and Trump has masterfully learned how to cloak himself uh, in these defenses well, of ignorance okay, let throughout me, his career. Let me wrap this up by saying an example of what you're talking about is Kimberly Guilfoyle getting paid sixty grand oh. to speak for, for two and a half minutes. By the way, I only paid TC thirty grand when she would introduce me and, and she would give me a full six minute introduction. But listen, right. if that money was raised uh, you know, from the, the wallets of Trump supporters who believed that the election was fraudulently decided I think that payment is defensible. She was giving a speech challenging the election. Am I wrong? Michael, I not only agree, following the rules of improv, uh, yes and, I agree with you, and I double agree with you. This Kimberly Guilfoyle $60,000 payment is really a bad road. Don't stake, if you are anti, an anti-Trumper, then don't stake your argument that fraud lies in paying Kimberly Guilfoyle $60,000 for a two-minute speech. Don't forget that people like Paris Hilton used to be paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go drink a martini at a, at a nightclub. Uh, look, the bottom line is, you know, talent gets paid what talent is worth. You may recall years ago there was a discussion about, you know, on the Howard Stern show about what, you know, comics on the show were worth if they showed up. And someone said, well, what if Howard Stern showed up to your comedy show and just waved at the crowd? What would that be worth? And, you know, the answer is millions of dollars. It would be worth all the money that all the comics get. I mean, you're worth what you're worth. And Kimberly Guilfoyle is a draw for whatever reason, and they've chosen to pay her $60,000. Yeah. Honestly, they could have paid her that to just right. sit there and sip a cocktail like Paris Hilton. Hey, uh, High Pitch is still $25 on Cameo, last I looked. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Cameo's a perfect example. Yes, thank you. I'm going to steal that, Michael, with Do no it. attribution. Do it. Uh, Morning Joe is calling your name. Danny, excellent as <laughs> always. Thank you so much. We look forward to you holding down this fort in about two weeks. Oh, oh. Bye for now. Bye for now, Danny. See ya. All right. Danny Savalas has teed up today's survey question beautifully. Does Donald Trump face greater legal peril from promoting the big lie or from his fundraising appeals tied to overturning the election? This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Hi, Daniel. You're in Princeton. You're calling about the January 6th investigation. Thinking what today? Yeah, hi, Michael. I think the survey question is sort of a byproduct of only hearing the prosecution side of the audience, of, of, I mean, of the evidence. So how much peril does he face based upon only hearing one side of the facts? And it reminds me of the Kavanaugh hearings where I listened to Christine Blasey Ford on that first day and I was blown away. I was like, wow, Brett Kavanaugh is toast. And then Brett Kavanaugh got his chance and I was like, oh, wait, hold on. This isn't quite what it seemed to be. <laughs> so we're trying to leap to all these conclusions, but we're only hearing one side of the facts. I'm laughing because yours was exactly my reaction. I found her to be credible. Guess what? I found him to be credible, too. And don't you think that's what's going on right now? I mean, that doesn't mean we think Trump is credible. I just think we're only hearing one side. And that's right. Well, OK. And look, on. Danny, Danny, I think, just agreed with you. Danny said somewhere in there, you know, keep in mind that you're only hearing one side and there's not cross-examination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think so. I think what you're saying is valid. That's point one. Point two is I don't think that diminishes from the survey question because Merrick Garland is paying. In in fact, Daniel, sit back and listen to this. Merrick Garland is paying attention to this after the first hearing. He said this. I am watching and I will be watching all the hearings, although I may not be able to watch all of it live, but I'll be sure that I'll be watching all of it. And I can assure you that uh, the January 6th prosecutors are watching all the hearings as well. So with that in mind, uh, and in view of the fact that we have two down and what, four or five to go, I'm asking, based on what we are seeing, I'm not saying he gets indicted, but I'm just wondering, as between these different baskets of questions being raised, one, his promulgation of the big lie, two, the way he was fundraising off of it, which do you think is more significant, which is more problematic for him? I'm not saying either of them results in an indictment, but for an audience like this where people are paying close attention, I'm just wondering which one is hitting you as more impactful. CT, you are in Houston. Greetings. Hi. Hi. Hi, Mom. Um, I, I think... <laughs> I won't point you out, but I think that we have too many times we have lawyers and defense counsel who will point out all the weaknesses in a potential uh, investigation or Trump or an indictment, but they fail to really flesh out the the opposite side of that. So obviously, whether or not Trump is mentally competent is like as a jury question. But the flip side to that is like, well, he was either incompetent or like, or like legally insane or he knew exactly what he was doing and he called a mob to try to either kill or intimidate the vice president into doing something without regard for what for the lives lost 
or the law is broken in the process. So that to me sounds like a sociopath. So either he's insane or he's a sociopath. And we aren't presented with those actual choices like I think we should. CT, it's funny to me because the first caller, the first caller says that the survey question is is probably unfair. After all, we're not hearing the flip side. We're not hearing the cross examination. We're not hearing anybody giving a benefit to Trump. And then your call is essentially to say, why are you spending so much time on his potential defenses? Yeah, I mean, look, everybody knows that. Trump has certain deficiencies in terms of how he operates in the media. He's not the brightest guy when it comes to facts, and he's not going to recall everything. But the problem is he is very calculating like a mob boss, and he knows exactly what he says, what he wants to say when he says it. But the point the point is, I'm the point is I'm giving you but I'm giving you both sides. Right. I mean, I'm 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 framing both sides. I'm bringing on legal expertise that exceed my own just to try and understand what I'm really trying to do here is present this as Merrick Garland and the folks at Justice are examining it because they are they are wrestling right now with the very issues that that we're talking about in in the abstract. They've got to make decisions as to whether they think any of this is actionable. Will justice for the first time indict a former president of the United States? That's that's the issue. Chris, you're in Minnesota. You most wanted to say what? Well, I think that it's very hard for us to know where the influence of media starts and his intent begins because he's not doing anything but running with a conspiracy that was already well-known within AM radio circles. Sean Hannity talked about the deep state. So he had any number of reasons to already believe that the election could only be won by Democrats if it was rigged, because that's what was in the zeitgeist at the time. So is he personally responsible for running with a conspiracy? Because indicting him is indicting the whole group. That's the problem. Right. Well, okay. Geez, I have so many thoughts on that, but I got to respect the lightning round rules. I'll simply say this. There's a bit of a chicken and egg there in terms of which came first, Trump and what he was saying about, you know, the fraud coming in the election. It's been part of his playbook for a long, long time. Anybody remember, what was it, the Iowa caucus and Ted Cruz? Or Hillary, he he anticipated because he thought he was going to lose in 2016, he ended up winning. But in 2016, not 2020, he said that he thought Hillary was going to steal it. Dave, you're in Florida, top of mind. What did you most want to say? Good morning, Michael. Just to clarify a quick point, you said that uh, Attorney General Gar- uh, Garland has all the information. He does not. Nancy Pelosi was asked at a news conference the other day, has Merrick Garland received this? She said, no, not yet. So I just wanted to clarify that point. So Thank all you, he's sir. Is so my, so my, my reaction, my, my, my statement was whatever Garland needs to make up his mind on the issues raised by Neil Katyal, for example, is there a bona fide conspiracy to defraud the United States charge requiring proof that two or more people agreed to defraud the country? I think Merrick Garland does not need a grand jury that the January 6th committee is giving him the tools that he needs to make that determination. Glenn, you're in Ontario. You most wanted to say what? Michael, relying on the Washington Post and the Times there didn't get us anywhere during the Russia investigation. 
let's focus on the Democrats. Biden, he ran on this Marxist agenda. We got and a shadow to BLM, a known Marxist organization. Let's just do it, and we don't have to worry about Trump. We've got air- Thank you, sir. Okay, Glenn, I got it. We're, we're talking about evidence presented in a congressional hearing that 20 million people watched on day one. It's not the day for whataboutism. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.